Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. I'm Annie Warmke. (laughs) Smiling Annie. (laughs) And today we're going to talk about eating seasonably or real tomatoes just don't grow in the snow. What in the heck does that have to do with that? It's deep on many levels. Um, Sometime I'm going to figure out what I I meant by that. So when we talk about eating seasonably. (laughs) Yes. Eating seasonably. No, seasonally. Seasonably. You keep saying seasonably, but I don't think that's even a word. We'll have to look it up. I just coined it. Um, So what is it? What is seasonally eating? Well, seasonally is eating is not new. In fact, uh, except for this culture, this current culture, we have eaten vegetables and fruits when they were in season. I'm sure when you were growing up, mm-hmm. you ate root vegetables in the winter and lettuce and tomatoes in the summer, right? I think we ate Jello brand pudding pops, you know, pretty much year round. So. And marshmallow frozen pie. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> right. I was the, I was the child cheese. of suburbia, so so we didn't know what seasonally or seasonably meant. <laughs> so, well, but when, but we did um, uh, watch television. So apparently, good to know. Yeah. So we knew what farmers did. I don't know what to say to that. I saw green acres. I know about farming. Uh uh-uh. so. Okay, so so <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. Okay, so you were talking about eating seasonally, and obviously seasonal eating has been around since the dawn of time. You got to have some way of preserving food, and there have been some traditional right. preserving. Uh, otherwise, you're going to eat what comes into season and when it's in people, season. That's what people did, and it was how we developed. How and obviously from a from an evolutionary standpoint is probably much more healthy. Well, it is more healthy, and that's one of the many reasons why we should do it. But past generations have done things to preserve foods like ferment them, pickle them, mm-hmm. uh, vacuum pack them, which is canning, which you can do with hot water. Or salting, salting meat, yeah, salting drying things. Um, so there were a lot of ways that they could preserve things so that they had foods when the winter months were bad or the summer months were really crazy too hot kind of thing. And this has been the way we've eaten over time. And then in the last few generations, certainly in starting maybe in the 50s or even the 40s, there was a big push to be modern. So modern meant that we went to the store and we got what we needed and it was prepared for for us by other people. And then eventually what's happened is we can eat anything, any time of the year, as long as it can be shipped. So we eat foods that are shipped, that are grown to be shipped many thousands of miles. And so they lack nutrients. They lack, uh, the food lacks the qualities that we need it to, to keep us healthy. It looks like it's supposed to, but it's sometimes almost the same as eating air, except that it has calories. So there, there are also some ancient sis- systems besides the modern world eating seasonally. And one is an, uh, from the country of India, which is Ayurveda, which perhaps I'm not pronouncing that correctly. 
but it is one of the world's oldest holistic, which means whole body healing systems. It's been around between three to 5,000 years, depending on what you read about it. And it's based on the belief that health and wellness depends on a balance between the mind, the body, and the spirit. And it looks at eating seasonally. It has other components, but to sim- make it sound sim- more simplistic, it talks about eating uh, seasonally. And so why would we want to eat seasonally? And and there are several reasons. First of all, the food is fresh. So maybe we grew it ourselves or somebody else grew it for us. Well, and, and I'm not exactly a foodie, but I've I have noticed in my lifetime, like the best corn on the cob I ever ate was when you pick it and then eat it like within minutes of picking it. The best tomatoes, all of these things are really just fresh from the garden. Yes, you know. they're tastier. But here's the thing that's interesting is that we act like we don't understand what that means. But for people who have grown up in communities where they do raise food, so all of us have grown up in community. Well, most of us have grown up in communities where somebody raised vegetables that we ate when it was uh, when they were available according to the right season. So people can hardly wait for fresh tomatoes in the summer or fresh corn on the cob. So they understand that concept, but then they lose that the rest of the year. They they just forget that there are things that can be eaten that are locally produced and fresh. So the other thing that you bring up is there's a better taste. The taste is real. The nutrients are in the food for the most part versus the the products that are or the produce that's produced in uh, a faraway location. And isn't some nutritional value of food lost in storage? Some is lost in storage, but the reality is most of the problem is really in the fact that it's grown to be shipped that right. way. They and so genetically it, modify it or they do the hybridization or whatever so that it yeah. looks like a nice banana when it arrives to you from 4,000 miles away. Or more. Even yeah. though it tastes like you're essentially chewing on wet styrofoam. Well, maybe not. Maybe they've got it right. The taste and the look is right. So then you con yourself into thinking this is a good thing, but it's not good for your diet or your body. Also, eating seasonally is good for the earth, for the environment, because it's generally going to be produced locally. And it's more, it's cheaper. It's actually cheaper. And it's cheaper from a pocketbook standpoint, but also from the true cost of that. So when you figure out the true cost of something that is grown in the U.S. and then shipped to England to be washed like an apple. Honestly, this happens. And then it's shipped back. This is called globalization. You're not paying the true cost. You're not paying it at all. Somebody's eating that cost. Usually it's the environment, but it's never the corporations. Well, we keep coming back to the solution of sustainability is almost always going to be localization yes. of of your activity, of your behavior, of your of your life and and food. At its, I mean, we we most of us have access to local food if we take the time to search it out, 
Right. And, well, we need uh, education. People need more education about what that means sure. and why these food, how to use these foods that are available, moving us beyond the normal 10 foods that most sure. people eat. But if they're listening to us right now, they're highly educated people. <laughs> That's right. And highly motivated <laughs> and people. And thinking people. And they could get off their butt and they can go to a farmer's market. <laughs> and, and Or the grow next their thing, own. Or well, grow their own. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, I don't know. I'm educated, but I can't do that. And um, so, so, but the other thing is when you buy at a farmer's market, almost all that money goes to the farmer, which is, uh, you know, an well, added more benefit. Of it, and it also comes back into the community to support other things that we need locally. Mm-hmm. The other thing to consider that when you're buying foods that are not seasonal or they're coming from far away is that there's a huge pollution toll that we put on the environment. And if you think about you're shipping apples all the way to England or China uh, and then they're being shipped back. Think of the amazing amount of energy that's being wasted and also the pollution. Well, that whole concept just is bizarre because that, it just reminded me, like, let's say I wanted to wash my clothes and I sent them to India. You know, it's like, okay, I get my clothes dirty. I put them in a thing. I ship them to India. Somebody washes them. They ship them back to me, and then I wear them again. I mean, it seems like there's a better solution. Well, a better solution in terms of the environment and everything. (laughs) Everything. But that solution makes money for corporations. Uh And so if you go to the store and you want to buy an apple that's been treated that way versus an apple that was raised by uh, uh, the apple orchard down the road, you're probably going to, on the face of it, pay a little bit more for that apple that was locally produced. But if you filter factor in the true cost of the apple that was shipped under the globalization process, nobody would ever buy one apple. It would probably be a year's worth of salary for somebody making minimum wage. But we're not figuring these things out. We're just, and we're not looking at the true payback to our community by supporting that local orchard versus supporting the globalization and the corporation. But you're not you're not talking about doing away with the shipping of all crops because some crops simply cannot be produced where you live. I, I'm thinking specifically like if you live in Michigan, you're not going to have an orange tree in your backyard. And so years ago, Oranges were a treat around Christmas time because that's when oranges were being produced down in in Florida or wherever they happened to be growing. And so they managed to be shipped, but they were shipped when they were ready to be shipped. Yeah, but we're not getting oranges from Florida most of the time. Um, Citrus is coming from all over the world. So maybe we limit how what we have. Mm-hmm. You know, what said, who said we have the right to have everything we want? Nobody. And it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. So the fact that we want to have citrus, okay, but we could limit ourselves. So we can't have every kind of citrus. We only have certain kinds of citrus because the true cost of that citrus production and shipping is absolutely not affordable by the earth. And, and you and me. I mean, that's what it really comes down to. So let's move on and let's talk about why, why else would we want to— Yeah, um, let's get out of these downright un-American ideas of not getting everything No, I don't think it's un-American. It. I think it's very American because <laughs> it creates opportunity to think through how do we do a better job with this so that our communities are doing better. I think that's very American. <laughs> so I refuse to buy that argument. So— 
besides the fact that it's cheaper to um, eat seasonally, it also supports local farmers and communities who choose to farm sustainably. And that is super important because that's the future. So we need to do more of that. And we also need to spread the access that people have. So in poorer communities where they often don't even have a grocery store, we have an opportunity to bring in fresh things and teach people how to use fresh vegetables and herbs and things like that. And they taste better. People are going to want to try. Well, that that just brought up the idea. You're talking about communities that don't have access. I mean, we usually refer to these as food deserts. But it strikes me, if you move to a totally seasonal approach, there is no such thing as a food desert, basically. These deserts exist because the corporations do not find it financially appealing to set up shop, you know, in an inner city or in a rural community. But there's always access to local food production if people take the time and the energy to do it and educate themselves. Perhaps, but it would bring change. But the reality is most rural communities, people are not really growing food. They're growing big crops. But we're trying to change their, That's right. their mindset. But, but if we do it, if we shifted our thinking, it would bring many changes. We can't even perceive what they would be, but they would be positive. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you have been listening, or you are listening, sorry, to When the Biomass (laughs) Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, reminding you, once again, it is the end of the world as we know it. Thank God. And we're talking about uh, eating seasonally, um, the concept that basically food is available, ripens, can be harvested at different times, and surprise, surprise, you can eat them when they're available and you don't always have to have everything all the time that you want yeah you can't always get what you want that's right right. there's a song i know it's in there but don't break into song yet Uh there is one other issue and i think this issue is super important perhaps the most important of all and that has to do with contamination we don't really have control over how Crops are raised in other countries, and often there is uh, soil contamination and there is no regulation. So when you see at a, uh, like Walmart, it says organic and it's from China, then you should walk away because that then totally negates the concept of <laughs> Back organic. away yeah. from the lettuce. Don't touch it. <laughs> because – and another thing is a lot of poor hygiene practices um, – so if, for example, Australians um, have uh, had some problems with infections being transmitted on, cro- transmitted on crops that have been exported. Also, uh, an example would be garlic. So it is radiated or irradiated, bleached and sprayed with methyl bromide to withstand quarantine and long periods of travel. And they also do this with many fruits and vegetables. Sounds tasty. Yeah, well, you're not going to taste it, but your body's going to experience it, and then it's going to stay in your gut. So that garlic is produced everywhere in this country, everywhere. People can grow it themselves. Lots of people grow it, and you can buy it locally, and it is not irradiated, bleached, or sprayed with methyl bromide. So we need to be doing that. So let's move on to some of the things that if we look at summer, fall, winter, and spring, some examples of things that we would eat. And okay, then, so walk us through the year. 
Yes. All right. I it's, shall. It's, it's, I'm ready. it's um it's the beginning of the year, right? Yes. January. January. What are we gonna eat if we're eating seasonally? Okay, in January, we're gonna aim to eat more things that are sweet, sour, and salty because we want heavier foods, meats, things like that. So uh, Snickers bar dipped in lemonade. Sweet, okay. sour, and salty. I have no comment. <laughs> um, so we're going to eat things like beets. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong. Well, yes, we can eat beets because we can store beets. We mm-hmm. can store beets in sand. We can uh, uh, cut a, cook beets and uh, store them in vinegar. So we have the ability to keep those root crops, some of those root crops, over the winter season. I know sometimes you're saying store them in sand, like a bucket of sand. You just put these things in. So they don't touch. Touch each other. Do people use sawdust and stuff like that too? They could. Sand might be better for beets so they don't dry out so much. You might dampen Mm. it slightly. Um, People used to do it all the time. They would have what they called spring houses. And they would have these big wooden bins that had slats so there was air that um, could circulate a little bit, and they might have sawdust or sand, and they would bury cabbage and root cr- other root Tobato- crops. Put potatoes. They didn't. You don't really have to store potatoes that way. It just needs to be a little bit dry for potatoes. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so they had ways of storing these things so that they had them all through the winter into the spring, and then some of those things would become their seed uh, for the next year's crop. So back to winter. So we want to eat some things like mushrooms. I know you love those. Mm. Potatoes, sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes are really nutritious, tasty, versatile um, uh, vegetable. Brassicas, which are cabbage, Brussels sprouts, another one of your favorites, um, and uh, broccoli, cauliflower. So these things can also be pickled. Uh, cabbage can be um, – the way to preserve that is just to preserve it as a head like in sand or sawdust. But we can um, we can preserve brassicas by pickling them. We can uh, do what they call – I can't think of the term anyway. So you boil water. Blanch it. Blanch, thank you. Mm-hmm. And which is just to dip them quickly in, in the water, uh, the boiling water, and then you cool them quickly, and then you can freeze them, and that – locks in the flavor. Okay, well, so far I'm not really enjoying the winter months of brassicas and mushrooms, but uh, what about right, spring? Apples, Let's, apples. Oh, apples so, I can handle. So we yeah. can we can have lots of apples over the winter, and they can be stored just easily in a box, and or we can dry them, cut them up and dry right. them in the fall. We can also can them. We can fry apples and can them. We can make applesauce. We can make apple butter by cooking down the apples. So we have a lot of ways to preserve things for over the winter. And I am always surprised at the apples because we get a lot of apples in the fall when they're when they're harvested. And and they do last quite quite easily all the I way through the winter. I used the last ones in March. Yeah. The ones yeah. that we brought in at the end of October, yes. Mm-hmm. So, so winter is a rich time for food, even though we may not think of it that way. We can also grow greens, if we're really careful, by covering them uh, with a hoop. We can also grow them in a, under a grow light so we can just cut a leaf here and there. So there are lots of ways to have food in the winter that we don't have to purchase um, at the store. Uh, some other things in winter are onions, another one of your favorites, pumpkin, so different kinds of squash mm-hmm. that are easily stored in a cool place if you have a basement, a storage area, leeks, radishes, 
greens like mustard and collards, which I know another one of your favorites, turnips, and then citrus fruits. Those are a winter fruit because they come in to season in uh, f- starting in December, late December, all the way through March, different right. kinds of citrus from this country, not from somewhere somewhere else. So then we come into spring, which is a rich time, not just for cultivated foods, but also wild foods. So those foods for spring, we're looking for um, things that are more astringent, bitter, and pungent foods, because those foods are going to help us to clean out our systems. And we need to do that for um, so we can be healthier for the for, for the summer and all the hard work. A little bit of spring cleaning going That's on. right. We mm-hmm. want that. And that can come from wild food. So we can take things like um, uh, different plants from the wild, stinging nettle for one. The young stinging nettle, nettle leaves we can collect up and we can make a really delicious soup from that. Or we can put it in vodka and uh, make a tincture that we can put drops of <clears throat> In, in food or something that we want, not to season it, but just to have that in our system to help us to to um, make our blood stronger and healthier. So asparagus, beets again, we can cultivate beets really early, um, maybe sow seed even in late February for beets. And the spring onions, there's also a lot of wild onions and wild garlic. Greens, lots of wild greens, wild lettuce, uh, pokeweed, all kinds of really great, healthy greens that are out there. Some kinds of peppers and turnips and the favorite of almost anybody. I never met anybody who didn't really love strawberries. So those mm-hmm. are spring foods. And um, and there are wild strawberries. And, um, and then right now, as we come really into the heart of summer, we're looking at things like um, elderberry, the flowers right now, they're highly edible, and you can make syrup with them for the winter, and it's full of all kinds of vitamins that are good as a tonic for the winter. So there's all kinds of wild foods as well. And then we come into summer, which is the richest time of all, and that's the busiest time. And summer is a time for light foods and cooling foods, and also many wonderful herbs. Again, beets. Beets are really anytime. <laughs> Eating seasonally. Just eat beets all yeah. year long. Well, pickle, right? I'm surprised at how many people like pickled beets. They might not eat them. I actually like pickled yeah, beets. Yeah. So this is shocking because it's a food that has color and you like it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But then blueberries. You like blueberries. Oh, strawberries. So chard. That's a, a delicious green that you can also grow other seasons. Chili peppers, gooseberries, green beans, mint, nectarines. These are all wonderful things that are available everywhere. Some more expensive than others. But you can do things like you can buy peaches by the box. And, yes, they seem expensive. But if you cut them up and put them in the freezer or maybe you make jam or some kind of jelly with them, you can can peaches, um, so delicious in the wintertime especially. Also, other things available in the summer are melons, which also can be cut up and frozen, quite delicious in smoothies in the wintertime or the, the spring. Cherries, tomatoes, artichokes, beans, berries, peppers, nectarines, cucumbers, zucchini, eggplant, and on and on and on. Well, you mentioned the um, the expense aspect, and I guess that's something that always surprises me because it seems like fresh fruits and, and fresh foods are, are pretty expensive if you buy them in the grocery store, um, relatively so. And, and I guess uh, 
Uh, you're giving me the look like, how dare you call this expensive? It's all that other stuff. No, is no, no. The grocery cost. store is expensive. So, yeah. example, if you wanted to have peaches in the winter or cherries or blueberries, um, and you said, all right, I'm just going to put them in little Ziploc bags and I'm going to freeze them. And then you go to the store any time of the year and you see what that same amount, that same weight of that package would be in the store. You're going to see that whatever you invested in that box of peaches or those quarts of blueberries is cheap compared to what it would cost to buy. They're in little bags and they're like six and seven dollars or maybe even more for little bags of blueberries or frozen peaches. Um, so you may have an upfront experience, but if you average that out, you mean expense? Oh, say experience. Well, that's true experience too. But <laughs> in expense, experiencing the expense. expense of, uh, um, yes, uh, you're going to see that if you draw that out over the year, it's a very cheap food. But then let me say that one of the things that happens in spring and summer and fall is that. Every day, at least on our farm, we are preparing for the other 365 days of the year. So right now we're making elderberry syrup. We're freezing strawberries. We're going to start freezing blueberries. But isn't that kind of contrary to the whole seasonal eating? Because we're preparing to store these things for the seasons when they're no longer available. Well, that would be one of the options so that we have oh. things that we want to eat, but we're doing it when it benefits the farmer, benefits locally, and maybe we don't have an option to do that, but we have a guide. We need to have some kind of guide that says these are the foods that we should be eating right now because, first of all, our bodies are happier eating this way. Right, they're craving them. Yeah, we require heavier foods in the winter to stay warm and lighter foods in the summer to be cool. So let's get to fall. So fall foods are plentiful and amazing. Well, that's harvest time, right? Well, summer's a lot of it starts in the summer. But fall um, fall foods are really warming foods. So we're starting to want to feel warmer from the foods we eat. And they tend to be sweeter, also a little bit bitter and astringent. And the herbs are plentiful also. So there's a lot of berries and a lot of wild things like Longhorn sue, sue, I'm sorry, leghorn sumac, which is high in vitamin C that we collect up and we make a drink with that. And then we dry it and we um, take the berries and we um, use them for infusing oil, for dipping bread for a meal. And then we dry some of the pods for decoration. So fall, in terms of things that people can readily find, is broccoli, carrots, cabbage, cauliflower, greens, beans, Pears, plums, pumpkins, apples. So lots of I was I was listening food. for beets. I didn't hear beets in there. <laughs> beets are there, but <laughs> okay. I didn't read them because I knew you were going to tease me. Come on, give me some beets. So, and a lot of these foods can be preserved for the rest of the year if you have access to a freezer or if you have the ability to um, can some food. And there's tons of uh, videos online that show you how to can or you can ask somebody who already does canning. Every year we have people asking to come can with me, and it's fun. It's more fun to can with others. It's a long day, but lots of good stories are told as we prepare food and get it in jars and uh, can that stuff. And it's it's a rich life. So let me sure. just say a couple well, things. Well, I was just going to point out, as you're going to say that, that if you are shopping seasonally, it seems like when these things are abundant, 
they would be less expensive. Yeah, and that's when you want to be prepared, have a plan to use them. Mm -hmm. So an example of winter, a winter recipe that might be super good, um, it's it's basically a bean and potato recipe. But we're going to use things like coconut oil and cumin seeds. These are warm warm ingredients. We're going to have different colors of potatoes and different kinds of um, turmeric and oregano and basil and black beans and some collard leaves. And we're going to cook all that up and add some garlic. And we're going to say that is delicious. And we're going to feel warm when we eat it. Mm-hmm. It's sounding a bit like the Splendid Table show here. Where Hardly. You're, you're giving all of these recipes. Well, anyway, we'll close with that. Um, and just to remind you, you have been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. We want to thank our award-winning producer, Adam Rich, and we want to thank you for just spending just a couple of moments with us. And as your grandmother told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others, clean up your own mess, and she made wonderful cakes. Eat your cake. <laughs> Eat your cake. Yes. And have it too. Yes. Till next Mother time. Mother Earth will sing and her children will be You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at blueRockStation.com. Blue